too close for comfort, won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of the Gen X Files. Welcome to the Gen X Files, I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today, we have another edition of For the Stepdads. For the Stepdads. Today, we're going to the movies. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, yeah. their early days, uh, and a little bit about the one of the, in my opinion, the absolute best uh, periods of cinema hmm. from about 1966 to about 1978. Okay. We had a lot of really great films, a lot of like... A lot of really good films, yeah. Also a lot of stars that came out that we probably wouldn't we wouldn't have seen before or since. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a definitely a, a, a shift in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we time. went from... Yeah, we were going from the studio system, the big, big movie stars, yeah. to more of a filmmaker-driven uh, it's, cinema. It's really know, weird. Story-driven. It's, it's really weird because I, I don't think people realize that back in the day... Hollywood was contracts. It was all about oh, yeah. contracts. Really? Like you were an actor, you were hired by a studio, and you you did five films a year for them. Oh yeah, or you would be a contract player, and you would do what? I, one of the last contract players was actually Harrison Ford. He oh yeah, he worked I think for Paramount, and he also worked for another one. But they bought a contract. He would yeah. be paid weekly whether he worked or not, and they'd be oh, like, "Get oh, you're yeah. gonna be in this wrestling movie, or yeah. go be on, you know, <laughs> essentially being on call to yeah, be an actor. Go be on this TV show. Yeah. Be on this SWAT thing. So." Go be a bellboy. So he he talked about how horrible that was. Oh, I can imagine. And that's basically what got him to quit acting before he Oh, right, met right. Before he met Mr. George Lucas. George Lucas. So let's uh, – I know this is your game, but let's take it no, back a little do. bit. please do. Please um, do. First of all, we oh, are yeah, enjoying so a, a stepdad <laughs> beverage. We're having a little uh, 7 and 7, yeah. which is a very 70 stepdad drink. It is. Uh, it was my dad's favorite drink uh, for a long time. Oh, God. It was most da- – that's why dad – I swear, man, th- these drinks are why our dads and stepdads are so mad because they were just not well, drinking the Well, I mean, I think that's a whole <laughs> – there's yeah, a whole other show we can fight. do about the angry dads. Speaking but- of stepdads, you couldn't really have a more different beginning for these guys. Yeah. Lucas is the prototypical uh, Northern California boy. You oh, know, yeah, his yeah. dad owned a stationery store and his mom, you know, was a homebody. And he they took him to Disneyland the first week it opened in 1955 when he was just a little boy. Aww. And he uh, little know, did he know <laughs> 60 years later, 50 years later, he was, you know, he was into him. comic books and science fiction and, and uh, Flash Gordon serials and that kind of stuff. Um, and then we have. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, we've got Spielberg, who's in Ohio. Uh, I didn't know he grew yeah, up in Ohio. growing up in Ohio wow. or started out there with uh, his Orthodox Jewish parents. And it was very difficult for him as a kid, especially in Ohio, you know, <laughs> have, being an Orthodox Jew. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, people weren't very um, accepting or sensitive about differences back then no uh <laughs> so he got he got bullied a lot he got beat up a lot no. uh he he said he said he was never ashamed to be jewish but it did make him uncomfortable and he did grow away no. from from what he said he grew away from the faith i mean that's explained part of the reason why he you know had an imaginary for alien friends <laughs> yeah because well he also i mean you know lucas had his parents together and 
Spielberg's parents divorced. Yeah. And yeah. as those of you who listen to the E.T. show after his parents divorced, he created a imaginary <laughs> space friend that was his best friend and his dad and his brother and filled all of the holes that he apparently uh, he was a he big was... old piece of Swiss cheese and had a lot of holes to fill. But he was a Boy Scout. Um, he yeah. uh, loved movies. He loved going to see again. He was another guy that loved the serials like his buddy. George and uh, he started making movies. His first movie he made at twelve. It was like a a train wreck movie with his oh nice nice. He made this war movie with his buddies from school that got some attention, and uh, he ended up moving to Phoenix with his folks. And uh, very different than Ohio. Yeah, and he (laughs) it is. It's a lot hotter in in many different ways. (laughs) And again, he, you know, was going to the movies. And that was an escape for him because, you know, as as a kid who was an outcast, you know, and yeah. who uh, had divorced parents and was Jewish and, you know, just all these things that were difficult for a child. Sure. You know, sure. Uh, he had his escape, which was the movies, you know, and, and um, that's that's relatable. I mean, I think a lot of people do that. I mean, I, I definitely when I was growing up, I. I didn't get into movies until I was like early teens. Like I, oh. but I was a big reader. And then it wasn't until I I discovered that hey, there's some movies that are actually kind of like novels on the screen. Yeah, and they're and they're immediate and they're yeah. so good. And that's what I, immediately I was just like, okay, like this is what I have to do. Yeah, I just you know anything that would shut the old man up for two hours, <laughs> <laughs> I was in. Um, but he said. Uh, it was Lawrence for Arabia that really kind of oh, yeah. clicked it in for him. Yeah. And then we got Lucas, who he's growing up loving cars, and yeah. he was an underground race car oh, that's driver. So weird yeah. to me, yeah. considering who he is mm-hmm. now. Well, I mean, like... if you look at American Graffiti, that's basically his youth. Sorry. Chewing ice. Sorry. <laughs> uh, for all the yeah, a- that's, That actually makes sense. Saying that he was a race car driver, American Graffiti makes way more sense. Well, he was like, he wanted to be a professional race car oh, driver. Oh, really? He was doing he to... underground wow. races. He, you know, he started, but what happened was, Right before he graduated from high school, he was in this ridiculous car wreck. He was driving this souped-up Auto Bianchi, Bianchina, which oh, I don't know. I don't know I don't cars, know but it was a car, apparently. <laughs> and, uh, and another car he was racing, and another car uh, broadsided him, and he flipped Ooh. his car over and over and over and over again. It crashed into a tree. Jeez. Lucas's seatbelt snapped. Thrown him from the car, How which did, saved his life. Because if wow. his seatbelt was still there, he would have been smashed. He, so he, he, got, been, he got thrown from the car while he was while he was rolling. Right, it wow. snapped That's before crazy. it hit the tree. Right, uh, he he ended up having bruised lungs and uh, some severe hemorrhaging, bleeding. You know, well, so, I, uh, yeah, I'm but, surprised uh, he's alive. <laughs> so was I, he? So he was like, you know what? I think I'm done <laughs> racing cars. So. Uh, about this time, you know, he's graduated. His dad's like, look, buddy, you're going to come uh, work with me at the stationery store, right? Modesto. <laughs> and George said, nope, I'm, uh, I'm going to go to art school. And he declared that he's going to be a millionaire before 30. Yeah, well. But he didn't go to study film. He was studying anthropology, sociology, literature, you know, a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Um, and, but he also started shooting with an 8-millimeter camera. He yeah, started yeah. filming a lot of car races with his buddy. Um, and then they started going to uh, this place, uh, Canyon Cinema, 
where they had a lot of like underground avant-garde stuff. Ooh, you know, watching like uh, uh, I don't know some of those uh, like Jordan Belson or Stan Brackage, you know those guys. Yeah, yeah, doing yeah, yeah. And then uh, he got into uh, Godard, Truffaut. Oh yeah. Uh, Fellini, you know, got into the new wave because everybody, everybody, I <laughs> well, did, we all did. do. Yeah, anybody yeah, who studies film, I mean, those are the oh, masters. yeah, yeah. But what really got him was the visual telling of, okay. you know, he was a visual filmmaker. Like, he wasn't, he didn't care too much about story. The, the early stuff that he made, he called them, they were like these visual poems oh. that would evoke feelings and I saw a couple of them there was this really brilliant one because he would he would use strobe effects he would use all sorts of different sounds right, right. cutting techniques everything was to create a feeling rather than a story right and he did like he had this one kind of yeah it was about the war or something and it was just relentless yeah and, yeah and it, it kind of a lot of if you've seen THX 1138 mm. there's kind of this oppressive uh, you know, theme throughout of it, right, throughout right. it, and I think a lot of what he learned doing that is, is kind of the background stuff for that. Yeah, um, yeah. So he, you know, he's he's at this time he's going to junior college. His buddy uh, is like his friend that he was going to the movies with. Uh, mm-hmm. Was like, hey, buddy, you should go to USC. And yeah. so he's to, like, do this, yeah. do this professionally. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to film learn school. how to do this. Yeah. So at the at the same time. You know, we got Spielby over in uh, in Phoenix, and he wants to go to school, but his grades aren't that great. So he he couldn't get into any of the major film schools, so he ended up going to the California State University of Long Beach. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was around that time, in the, it was like 67, I think, okay. that he went to a screening of the USC short films and saw THX 1138 and was blown away. He said, I got to meet this guy, Lucas, because he said, I've made 18 short films and this is better than all of them put together. He was so (laughs) jealous. It's funny. There's a, there's, they say jealousy, but I think it's, it's more admiration. Yeah. It's mutual admiration, but it's also, you know how it is with a buddy you know, and you both write plays or something, and and you're happy that your friend's play is doing really well, right? Right. And then your play or whatever, or your short film, yeah. But you know, there's still that rivalry. I think it's more of a yeah. rivalry than jealousy. Yeah, yeah. You know? You're you're pushing each other, but that's yeah. where it started. Yeah. I mean, it started then. That's crazy. Uh, and so Spielberg's like, I got up my game, tried to get into film school, but couldn't because of his grades. Right. Uh, so he went back to uh, Long Beach. He was a frat boy. Oh, <laughs> he was at the theater time. Uh. But uh, so Lucas ends up uh, going back to USC. He Lucas tried to join the army. Oh, wow. He wanted to be an officer, but uh, because of all the speeding tickets that he had from being <laughs> a street racer, he, he was disqualified. That's and crazy. then uh, because he had diabetes. As oh. a very young man, yeah. I don't know. I guess people had well, it back it's then. genetic. I mean, it, yeah, it, yeah. Is, it is possible. To uh, have it. He, he was turned down for the army, so he went back to USC, went to graduate school to become a filmmaker. He never considered himself a director at that time. Right, he was a right. filmmaker. Well, right, of course. Um, because you know, it, honestly, that's what he was doing. He was making these experiences more than these. Yeah, yeah. Films. Yeah. So then you got Spielberg, who's sneaking onto the lot over at Universal. Right. He ends up getting his. First uh, 
A lot of that stuff isn't really true, by no, the way. No, it's a myth. It of is totally him a myth. sneaking on and getting his own office. He, he and just set up his own office and, and his secretary know, it's a, it's and stuff. A, yeah, a, a, awesome story, and, <laughs> and it ruined so many young film students <laughs> that burst in and tried to do the same thing and were promptly arrested. I was arrested six times trying six to, times uh, six wow. different studios, <laughs> six different offices. Wow. Six different incidents. That's too bad. Well, that's six stupid people, Jim. That's why they wouldn't take me in the Army, because no, of my speeding tickets and my Get busting studio into studios. Felonies. Um, Aren't you that studio crasher guy? But they did. What did happen was he was given an opportunity to shoot a 24-minute short for a theatrical release. Okay. Called Amblin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which, coincidentally, coincidentally enough, is, you know, what he <laughs> named. <laughs> well, that's why. Company. If you're wondering yeah. why it was named Amblin. It's because it was his first film, and it did well enough that uh, he was brought into the studio system. Yeah. He yeah. was brought in as, as a director. And so he cut his teeth on Columbo and... Night Gallery. And Night Gallery his, was his first, first, yeah, first thing. Yeah. With Joan Crawford. And that, that first episode of Columbo, and I know eventually we'll, we're going to do a Columbo yeah. episode, is so good. Well, oh, yeah. so good. Yeah, yeah. No, but, but the night... Going back to yeah, yeah. Night Gallery, yeah, Night Gallery. Uh, yeah. Crawford was kind of horrified at this first-time director, and he was trying to do all these crazy shots to oh, yeah, impress yeah. everybody. And they're like, "Dude, <laughs> it's a TV show; you got to get this <laughs> done." Yeah, we have a limited amount of and time. They, and he kind of got a little bit uh, sidelined for a, a oh, little while because oh, of that. Really? But then Joan Crawford sent a note that was like, "This guy's a genius; you got to yeah, give him yeah, a shot." Yeah, you need it. Yeah. Yeah, so he went on to do Columbo, and he went on to do other TV shows, and then Marcus he, Welby, Marcus yeah, Welby, bunch of, bunch of stuff, yeah. all the staples. He was he was their go to TV director, right? So while Lucas is cutting his teeth on all this experimental stuff, hanging out with John Milius and and uh, they, these guys, the Dirty Dozen, uh, right. Hal Ashby, you know, all these guys that were at film school with him as contemporaries, he's mm-hmm. he's living the. You know, Coppola, <laughs> the 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 indie life. Yeah, you know? yeah. He's very working with these guys outside the system. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, he's yeah. helping create this '70s movement. Right. 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 Uh, or at least he's he's in the midst of it, while Spielberg yeah. is back in the studio system. You know, he's learning the ropes. He's learning how to shoot stuff quickly. Right. Right. And you know, get the stuff things done. They wish they would teach you at film school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he was actually in there learning it. Right. Right. And so he did his first TV movie was Duel. Yeah. Based With off a of Richard Matheson novel. Matheson, yeah. If you don't know, he also did I Am Legend yep. and The Incredible Shrinking Woman yes. and the or Incredible Shrinking Man, yes. the fifty foot tall woman. He did literally He's a science fiction yes. uh, the, god. He's amazing. I he's absolutely amazing. But uh, it was Dennis Weaver played a salesman mm-hmm. who was being uh, just tortured and chased by this uh, trucker. It's yeah. a tank truck. It was a it was tanker? a truck. It was a big truck. E- no, it was it was not I don't think it was I mean a it was tanker. a it was an 18 wheeler. It, it was a Mack truck. Yeah, yeah, it was a big truck. And you never saw the uh, the windows were all, the windows blacked were all shaded. Out. You yeah. never saw the guy. It was like so I mean it was basically his first jaws. Yeah. Was yeah. this movie, you know. I remember watching that for the first time and being like and this was not. This was ten years ago, mm-hmm. and I was like, "This was a TV movie." Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah no, it, like was... it, it blew my mind that they put this on TV in well, the early seventies. Oh yeah, but I mean, you, we didn't have everything we have now. You know, right? You had, of course, you had of course. a few movies. You had movies coming out, and you had TV. Yeah, and that was yeah. it. You didn't really have <laughs> home it. video. Yeah. You didn't no. have video no. games. No. You didn't have. You had your books. No. You had your records. You got the radio, TV, <laughs> and if you missed it, you missed it. Yeah, but so you know, they would spend. They would do more. 
It was like bigger budgets and bigger. Yeah, they would spend more on TV yeah, stuff because you know you're 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 getting thirty, forty, fifty, sixty million. That's people true. That's true. There watching because they got nothing better to do. The, the the numbers were much much higher back in the day uh, when you only had three networks to watch. Right. And, you know, <laughs> you pull in sixty million and people get mad and it's like no, now you pull in three and they're like hey good job. So all during this, these guys are still friends, Spielberg and Lucas, and they're yeah. still friends. They still still have their rivalry, and so. While uh, Spielberg's working in the system, Coppola comes up to Lucas and is like, hey, will you help me start Zoetrope? Zoetrope uh, Studios. Yeah. Yeah. It was supposed to be the uh, American version of the European New Wave, this place where people could create and make film. I mean, it sounded amazing. And here's the thing. Yeah. Everybody, everybody wants to have a film oasis <laughs> and look, I tried. We all yeah. want to yeah. like it's a place where everybody can just create just, and make yeah. movies. It's just a bastion of creativity. You run out of money, and yeah. you realize that all these people have really big personalities, and you know, <laughs> a, a lot of people, different problems that people try to kill each other. <laughs> but I mean, it, it it look they tried. It, it was a, it was it did well for a while, and it was it was an amazing experiment, and. Uh, a lot of really great films came out of it. I don't mean to poo-poo oh, yeah. Zoetrope. No, 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 no. Uh, it had its time, yeah. and, it, and it was it was important for the movement. Well, definitely, that was definitely. Happening. Coppola really dug THX 1138. The original film had a little bit more of a uh, complicated title. It was Electronic Labyrinth THX 1138 4EB, yeah. <laughs> which sounds like That's a serial so number. It is it's so yeah. George Lucas. Uh, I'm, being, I'm being crazy. Yeah. He's so funny. Yeah, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to make it... Um, a little more complicated. I, you know, I think people are going to have to think about it. We ha- have to include the 4EB. <laughs> yes. I, I really – I think it's it's very important to the story. Um, but uh, Coppola loved it and said, let's make oh, it yeah. into a feature. And the critics liked it. It was a bomb, a huge bomb. Because yeah. it was so complicated. It it's was, a great movie. It is, yeah. But Robert Duvall's in it. Uh, it's just – it's a very dysto- – it's one of the first kind of dystopian future. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, kind of uh, fascist, uh, futuristic. You know, escape from the. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot <laughs> it of did, going on. It's yeah, very yeah, ambitious. Yeah. Very ambitious film. It was, yeah. It was. Uh, it, I mean, it was fantastic. But it was. It was definitely kind of the definition of before its time. Challenging. Like, it was. Yeah. It, a lot of people just weren't ready for that kind of movie. Yeah. But it's. It was. It definitely helped because there were a ton of sci-fi dystopia thrillers that came out uh, after that. And oh, yeah. Once they realized how, how much they could cash in on that. But it was also a way for him to kind of get out his visual mm-hmm. style. What I think is so funny is these two guys are kind of two different sides of filmmaking. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're both very... I'm not saying Spielberg's not extremely proficient visually or, you know, the guy... He's, he's very good at what he does. Yeah. The guy... Basically, his DPs are figureheads. He does... The work yeah, himself. yeah, and same with Lucas, but I think Lucas was more at that time. He was more concerned with how films are made, mm-hmm. the look, the feel, evoking emotion without words, without story, getting something across, creating a feeling, right? Creating a world, right? right? Yeah. And Spielberg, being in TV, was about telling a story. Yeah. You know, he yeah. had to have a beginning, middle, and end, act one, two, and three. Yeah, yeah. That was so ingrained yes. in him. Yeah, yeah. Right. So he's learning. So I think they're learning from each other, you know, their different strengths. Yeah. 
I, I agree. That's the best kind of friends to have. Yeah, and I and I and I think they realized their strengths because they they were both very complimentary and extremely supportive of each other's work. So when American Graffiti comes out in '73, mm-hmm. it, it it is still t- to this day the most or at least one of the most successful independent films ever. It's made right. for seven hundred and thirty eight thousand dollars. Wow. Wow. And it grossed uh, ten, twenty, I don't I don't know the exact gross, uh, but it, it grossed hundred and forty million dollars. It grossed hundred and forty million dollars. Of less than one million dollars. Uh, yes. Yeah. And so here's the Wonderkind. All of a sudden Lucas <laughs> is <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What do you want? Yeah, yeah. What do you want? And so Spielberg is just like, damn man. <laughs> I want that. <laughs> Way to go. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I'm jealous, but okay, awesome. Way to go. So I'm gonna work on Jaw. So, <laughs> so he does Jaws, and Jaws is a mess. Lucas comes in, helps him. Lucas' wife allegedly comes in and helps right. with the cut. Uh, again, I don't know if that's a completely true well, they, story. They both worked on American Graffiti, so it wouldn't surprise me yeah. at all. Yeah, so it's but they were always there with each other, you know, in, yeah. in John Millius and right. Oh, and, I meant sorry, I meant uh, the Verna Fields and Marshall Lucas, the two editors. Yeah, uh, uh, Verna got credit for Jaws, but it would not surprise me in the slightest no. if Marsha was there helping. I, no, she's a genius. Uh, and so, so he works on Jaws. Jaws comes out. Huge success, bigger than graffiti, you know, a million times <laughs> yes, bigger than graffiti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The very, the very first blockbuster. So Lucas is like, wow, you know, that's amazing. You did this. I'm really jealous. So <laughs> what can I what do? What am I going to do? Yeah. I'm going to make Star Wars. Yeah. And so the funny thing is, is as he's making Star Wars, Spielberg's making Close Encounters. <laughs> I'm going to make an alien movie too. Yeah. And, and they visit each other on set and Lucas is just insecure as yeah. all get out yeah. about Star Wars. He's just like, Star Wars is going to flop. It's a bomb. And, and Spielberg's like, what the hell are you talking about? It's going to be yeah. a huge hit. So so, Spiel, so Lucas says, okay, fine. I'll give you 2.5% of Star Wars if you give me 2.5% of Close Encounters and we'll see who is the winner. <laughs> They're both winners. We'll see who's right. But yeah. uh, because of that bet, Spielberg gets uh, $40 million. Yeah, yeah, he's just forty million dollars. He's made a ton of money off of this just for having essentially being friends with George Lucas. Yeah, so boom, <laughs> then they create the blockbusters. You yeah, know? so yeah. then then everything changes. But let's go back. That's the story of those two guys. Yeah, and how yeah, they became yeah. friends and and it's it's it is weird that they they both ended up kind of becoming the blockbuster guys considering they're from such reluctantly disparate too. like backgrounds yeah but, yeah and neither of them wanted to do that they just i mean especially lucas well i i know that lucas wanted success yeah i know that lucas wanted to be rich and i know sure. that lucas wanted auto- autonomy right but well that's just it lucas yeah. wanted it but he wanted it on his terms exactly yeah. exactly and i think because of his early success with uh american graffiti mm-hmm. he was given that so, yes. You know, without yes. the success yes. of American Graffiti, he would have had to work himself up more right. like Spielberg kind of did through the system. Right. Where Lucas right. just came out independent, made this independent film that was gangbusters. Right. That right. launched the careers of Ron Howard and and Harrison Ford and uh, Mackenzie and, you know, all these people. Uh, right. Richard right. Dreyfus. Dreyfus, yeah. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. A lot of people in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's a big movie. It's a, <laughs> a lot fun of movie. movie. It's a great yeah. movie. And it's it's a love letter to his childhood mm-hmm. and to his recent days. And and 
the movie is so successful because it is such a personal film, I think. I mean, he did such a good job of recreating his life. And and we're also at 73. We're about at the end of the Vietnam War. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're done with Watergate. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're at least done with... It, it already happened, and yes. it's, it's in the process of being wrapped up. Yeah, Right, but I think everybody was just looking for nostalgia or just a breath or something mm-hmm. to take them back to a simpler time. You know, because this, you know, graffiti takes place, I think, in the early 60s, late 50s. And, yeah, you know, it was like yeah. around the time when he was a kid, 62, 63. And so it was only... 62, yeah. yeah so 62. So, I mean, it's it's like basically if we made a movie today that took place in 2011. <laughs> yeah. You know, so <laughs> yeah. it's it's not that big of a... It's not that far. You know, but... But it was before JFK being assassinated. Mm-hmm. It was before the Vietnam yep. War. It was before Watergate. It right. was before all that stuff. Totally. It was right when Vietnam yeah. was starting. Yeah. One of the guys. Yeah. Uh, right. The, In the, movie, the yeah. character. Charlie Martin Smith? Yes. Okay. Charlie Martin Smith, an amazing actor, little glasses guy. <laughs> uh, he was, his story is so great. He, he wanted to meet this beautiful blonde you know yeah, yeah but he was going to Vietnam the next day so it's just it was just about hanging out there was really right. not that much of a story it was just a you know a bunch of people kids being kids, kids being and, kids on a Saturday yeah. night cruising and you know right after I think it was after graduation or something it was it was definitely times calling, were changing yeah. calling back to that more innocent time yeah but at the cusp right it was like right. the last the, the beauty of it it was at yeah. the last possible second right, of that right, innocence right. before it was going to be right, right. It was crushed it was with on JFK, the, yeah. with Vietnam, with Watergate. You know, it was like it was that last, almost like the last summer of America. Yeah, yeah. You you can feel the the imminent change coming right uh, in the movie, but it doesn't hamper the joy of the movie. Either, no, which no, is no, brilliant. No, no, no. I mean, no, that's no. why it's so brilliant. I wonder if because Lucas was really, we've talked about this before. He really wanted to do uh, Flash Gordon. Yeah, yeah. And I just wonder what would have become of him. Because Flash Gordon, he would have made a movie. It probably would have been great. It would have been good, but it would not have been Star Wars. But there's the world building of Star Wars. Yeah. That's the thing about these two guys. It's not easy making movies, man. People don't realize. No. You folks don't realize. Yeah, if, if, ever, if, people, if people, if everyone that watched a movie really, really had, came into it going, wow, it is a miracle that this, that this is happening right now, that oh, I'm yeah. able to sit down and watch this. Mm-hmm. Every single time a movie happens, it is a friggin' miracle because Years. there are so many moving parts. Yeah. There's so many ways it can go wrong. And and it does. I mean, ninety nine percent of movies that are being made don't get made and that's it. Right. And, and it's and it's just how it is. But these guys, not just Lucas and Spielberg, but their contemporaries, they were trying to do something different, you know? There was the the films that came out then around the time, like The Conversation, mm-hmm. uh Coppola. Yeah, yeah. Zotrope. Uh, yeah. Zotrope. Uh, Gene Hackman. Uh, but just one of the greatest films about paranoia that you'll ever see. Oh, so fantastic. A small film. But just I, like the little moments of the other guy's ribbon. You know, they're all getting drunk and they're all a bunch of jerks and they're at his place and he's so tight because he doesn't <laughs> like anybody near his stuff. He's so paranoid about everything. Oh, so and Gene Hackman's so making good. fun of him and he's just wound. And it gets, I mean, he earns that freak out at the end where he's just ripping everything apart because he thinks he's being inspired oh, to see that movie. Fantastic see that movie. movie. has such a great, unsatisfying ending. Oh, my God. Yeah. But in such a brilliant way. But that's I, the stories these guys yeah, were telling. Yeah. They were telling complicated stories. 
dog day afternoon. Yeah. One flew yeah. over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah. These, uh, life doesn't have life doesn't always get tied up in that pretty ribbon, no. and that pretty bow, and it's like this was the first time where the directors and the writers were finally like, okay, let's do this, and the actors, and, and the, the actors, actors were yeah. game. I mean, and you got to like, do this for real. Yeah, uh, Al Pacino, Al Pacino, good Pacino, but Al Pacino, <laughs> you know, maybe you see him today, and he's ooh ah, yeah, bah, 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 yeah. but that man. Took so many risks in his career. Dog Day Afternoon, playing a guy who, it's based on a true story, who's holding a bank hostage to get sex reassignment surgery for his trans lover. Right. This is like 19, what, 70? Uh, 1975. 1975. And then he does Cruising, where he plays this cop that goes undercover in a gay oh, yeah. leather yeah. bar scene with graphic sex and stuff. And it's, everybody's telling him, your career's over, pal. Yeah, why you can't are you do doing this? this? Why are you doing yeah. this? And he's he said, I mean, I'm doing this because this is what I want to do. This is challenging. You know, he didn't want to yeah. be Gary Cooper. You know, these guys, uh, John Cazale. Yeah, John Cazale. John Cazale. Fredo from The Godfather, married to Meryl Streep. Uh, That's right, he was married to Meryl mm-hmm. Streep, wasn't he? Deer Hunter. That man was one of the greatest American actors ever, one of the greatest character actors. Such a short but impressive career. Yeah. Uh, it, it, died uh, young. He was every every movie he was in, or every major studio release he was in, was nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. So biggest crime in film <laughs> history, apparently. John Cazale never got an Oscar nomination. He never got nominated for that. He did get a nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor oh, for Dog neat. Day Afternoon, and he didn't win. Good Lord. I mean, yeah. well, it was also because these... The Voting Academy back then were all these guys from, you know, Bob Hope and, you know, the the road movies with Pope and Crosby and, you know, all these old school Hollywood guys that are watching these movies going, yeah. what's this hippie crap? Well, you understand, too, that, uh, like, according to Bruce Fretz, uh, who I don't know who that is, but he said about him, he's the walking embodiment of the aphorism, acting is reacting, providing the perfect counterbalance to his recurring co-stars. Essentially, people he acted against mm-hmm. got nominated for, for yeah. awards. Yes, because he was an unselfish. Yeah. He was the perfect actor to work against because he's giving you everything. Yeah. yeah. And I think Meryl Streep is such a great actor because of her association with him as well. I mean, can you imagine? Deer Hunter. Let's look at that for a second. Oh, yeah. Let's look at that cast. Yeah. You had De Niro. You had Meryl Streep. Yeah. You had Kazale. You had a young, beautiful uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Christopher, Walken. Christopher Walken. Yeah, you had. <laughs> <laughs> I disagree with the beautiful part, but that's me. He was a beautiful young man and a I, child actor too. I, I I agree, but beautiful I eyes. I think by the time he got to Deer Hunter, he was not a beautiful man he anymore. Was still pretty, but I, pretty, pretty man. <laughs> but that's me. It might also have been the fact that he's just a really good actor. George Zunza. I mean, everybody in that film is the is is impeccable but all of them none of them none of them look like hollywood stars no 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 uh, totally nero's not. a tiny man no. you no. know he's a little weird looking you know like you said christopher walken's a monster <laughs> <laughs> even meryl streep she's beautiful beautiful woman but she's yeah. not classically she's, hollywood beautiful. no no she's not yeah yeah I, what was generally accepted as, as a movie star. A standard mm-hmm. for a movie a movie actor and and it, actors that yeah it changed from your looks to your talent. So yeah, in the 70s, yeah. it was your talent that counted. Right. Somebody like Alan Alda 
Alan Alda. I think hey, Alan Alda here. Um, somebody like Alan Alda, who's, <laughs> you know, he's just a he's goofy looking, goofy yeah. looking guy, and he's just like, oh, everybody, man. But but they loved him because yeah. he was a sensitive, smart guy, cared about stuff. Mash, you know, you're getting 60, 70 million people watching this show, which is basically an anti-Vietnam show that's couched yeah, yeah, in yeah. the couched in the Korean War. In the Korean yeah. War, and it lasted like five times as long as the Korean War. Yeah. Oh, we'll be right back. But back to that wonderful time in the 70s. Um, and how it was ruined by our two intrepid heroes, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. <laughs> how they eventually uh, <laughs> destroyed the 70s. So I think the reason why it was these two guys, rather than Coppola or De Palma or... Yeah. Yeah, Milius or any of these other really great filmmakers of the time is because what Spielberg and Lucas did that these other guys didn't do is they took what they learned from working independently, what they learned from making these small stories, mm-hmm. and and as we keep saying, plug them into their big stories. Yeah. What they learned how to do was tell huge stories, but in a small scale. Like, right, in a more personal way. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, this alien is stuck on Earth. With this kid, but it's just a story of friendship. Right. And loneliness of this kid that just wants a friend. Exactly. That yeah. needs a friend. His parents are divorced. He's getting his bullied by brother his... won't let him play D&D. Won't let him play D&D. Jeez. Zero charisma. Is it possible... This is a total aside. I'm going to sure. speed bump this. Please. I'd love it. <laughs> is it possible that it was all in Elliot's head? Sure. Well, no, because no. everybody was involved. <laughs> I immediately started saying that, and I started thinking about the, the astronaut NASA suit, and I was like, nope, nope. It was all was... in the snow globe of an autistic boy. There's <laughs> a reference to St. Uh, Elsewhere for oh. all those people that have no idea what I'm talking about. Spoiler! Watching the films from the 70s, like what we talked about, The Conversation, and The Godfather, Carrie. Dog Day Afternoon. And... Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, Easy Rider. There you go. Yeah. Seeing like Easy Rider, seeing One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, being exposed to all these films yeah, that yeah. were great stories by great filmmakers that were telling things in a different way that weren't just, and no offense to like when Harry Met Sally or any of these movies that are just kind of, you know, yeah, what they uh, are. That's Well, that's part of the new Hollywood. 80s was yeah. pretty much the worst. There became as a much new... as I love 80s cinema. <laughs> Objectively, it was pretty much the worst. I mean, technically, technically, you can thank Lucas and Spielberg for when Harry met Sally because if it wasn't for them creating these big, big movies, that movie wouldn't exist. Well, yeah, I think the reason why I love the seventies cinema so much is just because that. And there's okay. There's one guy I do want to talk about uh, before we finish this all up, and that is John Cassavetes. Okay, John Cassavetes. was kind of the the model for what I wanted to do. John Cassavetes had this really great system of doing things. It was the one for them, one for him. So what he would do is he would take any Hollywood job there is on anything. So you see him in I you know a lot of disaster movies. Yeah, know, a lot of yeah, a lot of stuff that you're like, why? Why, why are, are you, you doing, doing this? this? And he did it all so he could fund his own movies. Right. Uh, that he made with his. Uh, wife, Jenna Rollins, who's an amazing actress. Mm-hmm. His best friend, Columbo. Yeah. Peter, uh, Falk. Peter Falk, who was in a lot of his movies. Uh, also, we had Seymour Cassell, mm. who was one of the greatest character actors ever. Minion Moskowitz. Oh, yeah. Woman yeah, yeah, on the Bridge yeah. of a uh, uh, Nervous Breakdown. Uh, I mean, there's a Cassavetes films that he, w- he was in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you have a chance to see Cassavetes films, see them. He was also, I mean, the guy worked until he died. He was in Rushmore. 
you know, with Bill Murray and Jason Schwartzman. Right, right. And, you know, just a really great actor. Another guy that, you know, came from the 70s that right, right. just showed you what acting was all about. And it's just a yeah. pure independent filmmaker is a rare thing. There's no patronage anymore. There's no... No, you know, no. It's it, it, it kind of died out in the 70s. It, was, it died, yeah. And it, there was a resurgence in the early 90s, and then it died out again because there's always something ready to kill it. Because, right, right. you know, yeah, they love making a ton of money off of a movie that only made 700 grand. But that's lightning in a bottle, right? Right. Uh, John Cassavetes is fascinating. I don't know him as well as I as I should. Uh, His movies are tough, but it's not. It, it reminds me a lot of uh, like Crispin Glover does the same mm-hmm. thing. Like he, and to the point of I, Crispin Glover's movies are not. Hollywood friendly in the slightest, but I bet you one of his main influences, Cassavetes. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, he's he's one of the premier American cinema verite directors. Right, you right. Know, you're watching something that you shouldn't be watching. Yeah. Woman on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Jenna Rowland's uh, her performance in that is captivating, horrifying, and heartbreaking all at once. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, the build on that movie. And you just, it's another one of those things where you just feel like I am in a room that I shouldn't be in and I just want to leave. <laughs> I just want to leave. And, and, and I think that's, that's the thing. That's, that's what was the seventies. And that's what these independent filmmakers did Right, right. is they evoked feeling and emotion. And they told these stories that were very personal and very real. And I think what we're trying to say kind of is that in a long winded Rambly seven and seven kind of way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that Spielberg and Lucas took these tools and made these blockbuster movies? And it's not their fault that everything no, changed. No, no, no. It's, it's just not, there were inferior, yeah. inferior filmmakers that came after them. That, yeah, that yeah. made these empty, hollow films. Well, and it's and it's not. I'm. I don't even know if I would blame necessarily the inferior uh, filmmakers. I I would say that the it was Hollywood finding a way. To take the the two things, those things that Spielberg and and Lucas created, and being able to profit off of it, exploit it, yeah, and exploit it. That that's the big thing, exploit it. And and the and the thing is, is that they're going to keep that going, yeah, regardless. Because they to them, it's like, no, you create this thing, it's great. We can get Joe Blow over here who can do it too, and guess what? He really can't. Yeah. But, you know, we're going to try, and we'll make some money, and it's not going to matter if everybody thinks we're stupid. Yeah, you know? and they also kind of created the franchise. Yeah, you know? oh, I yeah, mean, yeah. Yeah, there were, there was the Nick and Nora movies, there were, you know, there were movies yeah, that that but not, were franchises, but, but those they weren't were, going to convention, yeah. they weren't Star Wars, you know? They no, no. It was mostly based on books. Yeah, there were Sherlock Holmes it was it was it was people back in the day going back and like walking past the theater and going oh the new Nick and Nora movie is coming mm-hmm. out I didn't know and then they go see it and they yeah. be done with it and that'd be it you know I mean it wasn't it wasn't what it is now where it's like I want I have to go see this yeah. I have to go where stand in line twenty four hour yeah you know I remember the nineties were just the madness apex of these twenty four hour Thursday night beginning screenings yeah you know I saw Jurassic Park at like. 1 a.m. and yeah. I saw Independence Day at 2 a.m. and it was really <laughs> fun. And look, I I think there's room for all kinds of movies. I love big, crazy, splashy special effects movies. I love tiny little independent stories. Sure. I just think the problem is, you know, it's always been kind of they squeeze out these little movies 
to make the big movies, and it makes sense more people see the big movies. But we gotta still have yeah, yeah. room for these little guys, and and. Thankfully, I think with a lot of the streaming services and everything that we have going on, the theatrical experience for these films, it, that's the shame. We're losing these little independent theaters that show yeah, you know, yeah. these films that slip under the radar. Yeah, and it's and, and obviously the the last year has not been helpful whatsoever no, no. towards that. But uh, but no, it's it's true. I mean, the the majority of the movies that are coming out now that get any kind of of airplay, any kind of recognition are these giant blockbuster movies but we all but we're also seeing and the the same kind of thing where they're poaching these indie directors oh yeah yeah to make these big movies which are making better big movies and these are the guys that grew up studying spielberg and lucas right you know their early stuff to their big stuff and that's the thing i think anybody who dismisses them as you know these guys that ruined cinema and these Blockbuster fools, or whatever they say, you, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, yeah. they get a lot of shit because they're very successful, yeah, and everybody yeah. says they ruin movies. But look at it this way: the sound that you have is because of George Lucas. Many of the camera movements that you have is because of George Lucas. Mm-hmm. A byproduct of the George uh, Lucas and Steven Spielberg making all these blockbusters is that there's these now theaters that have 20 screens and they have to put movies in there. George Lucas genuinely, seriously, passionately wanted to make the movie going experience better. Yeah. And yeah. he has with yeah. THX and all of the things that he's done. It's almost as if Spielberg had kind of went back to like, he was like, ah, oh, you know, I think I missed that independent time. <laughs> right. You know, I right. think I missed that coming up part with George sure. and all these guys. And I didn't get to make those movies. I mean, Sugarland Express, yeah. you know, which was yeah. based on, uh, I think Goldie Hawn was in it. It was based on this couple that were trying to get their kids back. Um, yeah. So it was, you know, it was based, on, yeah. it was, a, but that was kind of it for him yeah, in terms yeah. of those kind of movies. And so I think he kind of was like, well, I, maybe something to prove, maybe like I need an Oscar or whatever. But whatever the reason, it wasn't like he just made these prestige films he made really good movies and it just goes to show you what a great filmmaker he is that we got schindler's list yeah and then we got munich and that you know you can't dismiss him because he can go both ways this guy is an amazing storyteller his his movies are still very personal to him i mean you know he did saving private ryan because it was it was he grew up with these guys who were veterans of this war and it affected him and like he needed to tell their story i don't know how i'd react then i can't say that i wouldn't freak out and poop my pants and then be done of course you would of course but it's just like (laughs) thanks all of us would it was personal personal about his munich was personal it was it was and in personal meaning it doesn't have to initially be like something that happened to him but it's personal to his history and it's personal that's that's what i mean his dad had I think 12 or 16 members of his family die in the Holocaust. Yeah. The Holocaust was an ever-present uh, part of his childhood. That was, right. you know, part of the thing that made him so uncomfortable. But it was, I get it. You know, as a kid, you don't want to hear about this stuff all the time. You want to well, go right, ride right. bikes and play with your friends. But as you get older, you realize, wow, the history in my family and the suffering and the this, I, you know, I got I to gotta do something. To, well, and that's, that's, yeah, that's getting older and finding, like, I have to come to grips with these things. He did the Holocaust Project where he, and they were basically getting as many people who were still survivors of the Holocaust on film oh, yeah. to tell yeah, yeah, their yeah. story to keep the story alive. Right, And right. it was like, it, it was an amazing, it is an amazing yeah. 
project. I think these guys are going to keep, hopefully, keep telling stories. You know, I think Lucas is kind of retired, I suppose. He's kind of done. I mean, I'm sure he'll probably end up producing or throwing out story ideas. I'm sure he's having regrets after Well, I mean, isn't he technically working on the fifth Indiana Jones movie? Yes. I mean, so he is technically working. Yes. Yes. But, you know, but Spielberg's not directing it. It's mangled. I'm sure it'll be good, but... You know, it's these guys are slowing down. Of course, they're they're, yeah. they're seventy. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 getting up there. You know, they not gave Clint us. Eastwood. Oh God, and that guy, man, even he is like, eh, <sighs> can't do my one movie here anymore. I'm not aging gracefully. <laughs> I'm gonna take this year off. Oh, yeah, but it's you know, these guys are still telling stories. They have still great stories to tell. But even if they didn't tell another story, what they've done is incredible, and you cannot deny the genius of these two guys. And it's. It's lightning in a bottle, both of them. And the fact that they came up together and were really good friends. The fact that they knew each other and they were friends just blows my in mind. In the 60s. This is yeah. you know, before Even before anything. Before yeah. anything. Like, that's just crazy to me. And then the two of them helped each other create some of the most fun you can ever have in oh, a movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ever. My, my absolute favorite of both of their oeuvres is Raiders of the Lost Howard Dark. the Duck. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck. It's my fave. Nothing like Duck Six. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 So George Lucas made a movie about bestiality. Well, technically, it's not. It's really, I know. I know. I mean, isn't he technically an alien? Yeah, I guess. Right? <laughs> interdimensional. I, I don't know. Howard Duck. Yeah. Howard the Duck is an interesting cat. I guess he's coming back. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's... But look, <laughs> he made a choice. The thing is, I think Howard the Duck, a lot of, uh, there's Radio Days was another, not Radio Days, but Radio, Radio Days wasn't that, uh, that was uh, Woody Allen. Oh, yeah. yeah but yeah, it was Radio not. Something with Brian Benben uh, from Dream On on HBO. Oh, yeah, yeah, Brian Benben. Uh, and it was this like 1930s or 40s radio drama thing. And he only made that movie to try out the digital sets that he was going to use for the next Star Wars <laughs> prequel trilogy. Nice. So he would he would produce movies to try out technology for the things that he wanted to do. Well, that's smart man. He just wanted to make movies as incredible as possible. He wanted to make movies that he saw in his mind. He wanted he wanted those things to be. And that, that's the, the beauty both of, of these Lucas. Guys. Yeah, yeah, both of them. But epic imagination. Yeah. Epic imagination. Lucas was just more technical mm-hmm. uh, and, and obviously still a great storyteller. But like I, but, but he was more concerned with lights and color yeah. and telling story without words. Yeah. Hence his really. His poems. <laughs> his, his scripts. <clears throat> oh, well, Dialogue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't. But his great, visuals just, were he's, amazing. He just needs somebody to punch up his scripts. That's yeah. Amazing. Or at least actors that are. Can, Not terrible. <laughs> the, the charisma to overcome. What are you talking about? Dialogue. I love you and McGregor. How dare you? You and McGregor is great. Um, they're all. I mean, look, man. I like all those movies. I can't think of a Spielberg movie I don't really like. I can't no, think of no, a no. Lucas movie I don't really like. Even the ones that aren't great have something in them that are interesting. Even the Spielberg movies that aren't really Spielberg movies, like Bridge of Spies, mm-hmm. which he just jumped into because the director couldn't do it. Yeah. It's still a fantastic movie. Sure, it's done so well, and and would not have been as good if he wasn't directing it. No, because these guys don't just rely on the effects or the script. They they put it all together, and and they know what they're doing. They know how to work with good people. They know how to. 
they know how to get things done on time, under budget. <laughs> well, they learn the hard way sometimes. But well, sure, but they, they learned. You know, I yeah, mean, these guys. Yeah. There's a reason why they are who they are. There's a reason why they have so much success, and there's a reason why we're talking about them right now. That is true. You know, fifty something years later. Except now our time is up. Yes. Well, <laughs> my drink's done, and I'm getting a little ornery. So yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, we gotta step go, dadding. We're gonna go duke it out about saving Private Ryan. Yeah, so, uh, we're gonna go. Blow some smoke in each other's faces. And then we're going to have some cheese fondue. Ooh, yeah. And 16 uh, Camel Street cigarettes. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, God. I can taste it. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. <laughs> yes. We'll be back next week with Jaws. It's yeah, we said it was going to be this week, but... Uh, uh, no, it's okay. But we tricked you. No, just kidding. We just wanted to uh, close out the Spielberg month with... Uh, my favorite of his movies. Yeah. Which is a Joe's. Joe's. Um, she beat him mercilessly mercifully with a wire hanger. You've only had like two sips, Jim. I know. I like it. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming, Charlie's Angels. It's already in progress. <laughs>